It's good to be home. Two weeks ago, I, we, Cindy and I were on the West Coast, and uh, so I was up really, really early, and I watched the live stream as Pastor Jeff was giving the announcements that I was out hunting people. <laughs> and uh, I, I immediately began to text him, knowing he will never live that down. Um, and then last week had the wonderful privilege of, of watching as Daniel Hauck brought the Word of God and uh, we're privileged to have precious brethren and sisters that can bring the Word and thank Pastor Pablo for preaching a couple of weeks ago, but it's nice to be home today. I, I, I sat here and I'm a little weepy today. It's, maybe it's because I'm old, whatever. I just There's something about the presence of the Lord and listening to people worship. And just being able to have the reign of the Spirit of God that just brings us to a place where we can just put the defense shields down and just receive. And uh, for those of you that may be guests, um, I have the wonderful privilege of, of serving as the lead pastor here. My name is Doug DeMann, and I'm glad you're here. For those of you watching online, we're glad that you joined us. Today I want to jump back into a series that I began in October, and this series is actually going to take us all the way through the end of the year and will include uh, some Christmas messages as we begin to look at what is truth? How do we live in truth in the middle of a society that is skeptical, in the middle of a world that believes so many different things, and how can we stand solidly on a, on a footing of faith what does the Bible have to say? We've talked about how can you prove the Bible from outside sources and, and the life of Jesus. And today, uh, I want to approach the topic of that, that so many people ask the question of, aren't there many ways to God? Aren't there many ways to God? Have any of you ever had people ask you that question? And, and so as we come back to this, um, I believe that it's important for us as believers, and I believe that probably most of us that are here today are, and if you're not, then I'm so glad you're here because you're going to have an opportunity to meet Jesus today. And for those of you that may be watching online and you're interested enough in the topic to give me an opportunity to present this truth to you in the middle of a world that really has so many questions. Aren't there many ways to God? I believe that one of the things that we find oftentimes as we live in this world is people get a little bit upset with Christians because of the exclusivity of our claims. And we want to begin to address that in the world today. But I'd like to start by asking if you just bow your heads with me for a moment. Father, we, we have precious little time when we can allow your Holy Spirit to just begin to unlock the truth of the word and to do something in our heart. And we are so grateful for this celebration of praise and worship that we have had, for those that are celebrating because they're living in the reality of their miracle, and those, Lord, by the hands that were raised, are living in anticipation of how you will perform a miracle in their life. And, Lord, these things come because of a relationship with, that we have with you. And in the middle of a world that does not know what truth is, that questions us and is skeptical about Jesus, may we, as your people not only live with the Holy Spirit living inside us, but would you guide us so that we can give good answers to those that are seeking. And so, Father, I pray that you would take these next few moments and bring your anointing to our minds to capture this. In Jesus' name, amen. Aren't there many ways to get to heaven is a belief that is popular today in the world in which we live. In fact, people will look at you as you begin to share your testimony and say, well, that's one way 
That may be your way to get to heaven, but I also know that there are other ways to get to heaven. And when we begin to look at this through the eyes of Jesus, Jesus objected to that proposition. In fact, his answer to aren't there many ways to God was no. And frankly, his answer distresses a lot of people. It's one of the reasons that C.S. Lewis says this about Jesus. He is either a liar or he is a lunatic or he is the Lord of all. Jesus is one of those things. And Jesus was very clear about this. In fact, the theme verse that we have had throughout this entire series is found in John 14, 6, when Jesus said, I am the way and the truth and the life, and no one comes to the Father except through me. So Jesus very clearly from the outset in the middle of a skeptical world declares to them, I need you to know that there are not a lot of ways. I am the way. No one reaches God except through me. Or as the Apostle Paul writing in 1 Timothy chapter 2, verse 5 wrote, There is one God, and there is one mediator between God and mankind, and that is the man Christ Jesus. And so what Paul is saying is you have God here, you have mankind here, and there is a gulf that we are not capable or able or intellectually able to find a bridge to without Jesus Christ, who is the mediator between God and man. And the apostles in Acts chapter 4 had been arrested and their response to the religious authorities that were asking them this question said this, salvation is found in no one else for there is no other name under heaven given to men by which we must be saved. And I understand that Jesus very clearly and the apostles very clearly drew this line and there is no ambiguity here. There are not many ways to God. God is the way. And so I want to start this morning by approaching this from the understanding that I understand that this can be very, very offensive to the world in which we are living. There are many people that are responding right now by saying, this, this cannot possibly be true. And, and I just need you to say, hang with me for a moment. I understand that there are many opponents of Christ that do not want this truth proclaimed. And there are other people that would say this to you. Well, listen, it doesn't matter what pathway I choose to get to God. As long as I am sincere, then all paths lead to heaven. I have discovered that when I take my car in for repair, if there's something that's wrong with it and it's time to pay the bill, I would be less than happy if the owner of the shop came to me and said, listen, we replaced a lot of things on your car. We really couldn't find what you said was wrong with it, but we did a lot of other stuff and, and here's the bill. And listen, I know it won't matter because as long as, my, as long as my repairmen were sincere, all roads lead to hell for your car. You know, we we would look at that and say sincerity has nothing to do with the reality and so I believe that if you believe that sincerity is all that matters and that all roads are going to lead you to heaven then you have to negate a lot of realities to get there one of the issues that we must clarify today is that there is a difference between being spiritual and being a Christ follower there is a difference the first perspective is this there is a difference in accessing the spiritual world 
and accessing God. How many of you have had people say to you, well, I'm a spiritual person. You know, you may be a Christian, but, but don't dismiss me because I'm a spiritual person too. This is oftentimes one of the things that we hear. And I need you to understand that just being a spiritual person does not mean that you are a follower of Jesus Christ. Just being a spiritual person does not guarantee that you have eternal life that will get you to heaven because the spiritual world today is made up of not only the Holy Spirit, but demonic powers. There is a demonic power at work in our world today. And the reason that when you submit yourself to Christ and you submit your life to Him, for those of you that came out of that occultic practice or demonic powers, you turned your back on that part of the spiritual world. The whole thing of the seances and the Ouija boards and astrology and the palm reading and the horoscopes and the white magic and the black magic and all of these things, you recognized when you met Jesus that just being spiritual was different than being a Christ follower. I'm a missionary's kid. My folks served in East Africa and in Europe and I have a ton of people that I consider aunts and uncles that are serving all over the world. And I want you to know that there are places in the world today where the dominant religion involves witch doctors and spells and magic potions. When I led a team and we went to Haiti, there were places where we walked into these little temples that were built in people's yards that had bones hanging from them as they were worshiping demonic powers. And, and you could feel it in your spirit. That there is a difference between the life of Jesus Christ lived within us and the demonic powers of the world. And so we understand that just because you may have an interest in spiritual things does not mean that you are a Christ follower. So what happens when you access the spiritual world outside of Jesus Christ? Then you need to come to an understanding that just because you feel something spiritually does not mean it is life-giving. Jesus said, I am the way. I am the truth. And I am the life. So the question that we really have to ask today is not, is there a difference between accessing the spiritual order in Christ, but is there more than one way to access God? And when we have conversations with people, we must establish that question of whether or not there are many ways to get to God. Are there many ways for us to get to heaven? And not just are there many ways to access a spiritual world, because that is a different question than what I believe the world is really asking. Because we know there's a difference between demonic spirits and the Holy Spirit. In 1 John chapter 4, verses 1 through 3, it says, Dear friends, do not believe every spirit. Do not believe every spirit. But test the spirits to see whether they are from God. Because many are false prophets and gone out into the world, and this is how you can recognize the Spirit of God. Every spirit that acknowledges that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is from God. But every spirit that does not acknowledge Jesus is not from God. This is the spirit of Antichrist, which you have heard is coming and is even now in our world. So when people are asking you the question about 
How many ways are there to heaven? You have to differentiate the difference between having a spiritual interest and an interest in Jesus Christ. So this is the first perspective. Can you access the spiritual world by many paths? Yes, but it won't lead you to God. And this is where so many times people get angry because of the perceived exclusivity of Christianity. The second point that I want to bring to you today is that Christianity is not the only religion that claims exclusivity. Christianity is not the only religion that claims exclusivity. We are an evangelical Christianity, and oftentimes as a result of who we are in our relationship with Christ, we face criticism for our perceived pride and arrogance as it relates to our exclusive relationship with Jesus. That we proclaim Jesus is the only way, and as a result of that, people say, well, it's, it's so arrogant of you to say that Jesus is the only way. Your religion is the only one. Your relationship is the only way to get to heaven because there are got to be a lot of ways that we can get there. And as a result of that, the criticism and the offense comes to us because of the claims of Jesus Christ. And they will oftentimes say, you're the only religion in the world that claims that you're the only way. That is not true. In fact, it couldn't be further from the truth. In fact, most world religions and most religious expressions have aspects of exclusivity built into them, whether it be Hinduism, whether it be Jehovah's Witness or Mormonism, and especially in Islam. In Islam, it is indeed their way or the highway. And so this criticism that is often leveled at Christians in the popular press and certainly in our secular university system and in the secular education system where Christians are constantly being challenged as to the fact that what Christ claims is true. And so they say to us, if you will just give up this exclusiveness about your Jesus, then we can all get along and the world would be at peace. How many of you have seen the bumper stickers I've seen in the back of windows that has the symbol of multiple different religions all together and underneath it, just this, this message of peace, which is, sub, you know, just it, it's speaking to us, particularly as Christians, saying, you guys think you're exclusive. But we all know more that if we could all just get together, we're all going to be in heaven together. And so the question isn't, does Christianity have exclusivistic claims or do other religions have exclusivistic claims, but what is the value of the claims? What do they really have to offer and what does Christianity really have to offer? One of the things that's necessary for us to understand is that this is not our idea. Sometimes you are criticized because people think it's your idea. And that you stand on something and you, you feel rather proud about it. And that's not it at all. In fact, the claims of exclusivity go all the way back to the beginning. Because when God spoke to Moses in Exodus chapter 20, he told him this. You, Moses, shall have no other gods before me. Indicating that there were other options to worship. But that he alone was the one true God. In Deuteronomy, when God told Moses, listen, fear the Lord your God and serve him only, he was setting himself up as, I am the only God. It's not something that we made up just so that we can look enlightened in front of our world and so that we can be proud of it and boast about how great we are in comparison to everybody else. 
And then in the New Testament, Jesus comes along and rather than dismissing this, he doubles down on that thought when he says, no one comes to the Father except through me. This is not the claims of a God who's willing to allow there to be a lot of paths to heaven. This is the claim that the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords makes to a lost people who are looking for something to give them life. And so the vital point to us is this didn't start with us. This wasn't our idea. This isn't something that we created just so that we could look good. This command started back at the very beginning. And so when you were in a conversation and somebody begins to accuse you of being presumptuous or prideful because you claim that your way is the only way, that your God is the only God, and that your Jesus is the only Jesus, and it just stopped them right there and say, you act as if this was something that I came up with. You're accusing me as if this is a fundamental truth that I wrote and that I'm holding it over your head. Here's what I suggest you do in that moment. I suggest that you stop them and say, you know what? Let's take this problem to Jesus together. Let's pray and ask him if he is willing to stand under the scrutiny of your skepticism and take that conversation and move it to a place where they might be willing to ask Jesus those questions because I can assure you there has been no question asked of Jesus that he is not willing to answer because he is pursuing every heart. He's the one who said it. He's the one that'll own it. He's the one that will reveal himself and he's the one that will change lives. And by the way, Jesus signed that word in his own blood out of love for you. And so Jesus had an interesting way of approaching these exclusivistic claims. And, and throughout the Gospels, he is constantly dropping hints. By the way, we are in the season of hints. I, I discovered that, that 10 minutes after our Thanksgiving meal, my grandkids begin to give me hints as to what they wanted for the next big season. By the way, didn't Pastor Mark and, and Mariah do a great job with the, the decorations? It looks, it looks wonderful in here. Not only do they begin to drop hints about what they want, they drop hints about where we can find it. And they create these lists on Amazon. And then they wonder when you they come walking in the room and you close your computer real quick, they're going, oh, can you give me a hint what you just bought me? You know, we're, we're, we're living in this world of hints everywhere. And Jesus, throughout the New Testament, was wonderful about dropping hints as it related to his exclusive pro proclamation about himself. In fact, in John 10, he says this, no one goes into the sheep pen unless he goes through the gate. And then he also says, I am the door to the sheep pen. Now, let me give you just some historical perspective of that, because oftentimes sheep pens in that particular time were, were nothing more than caves or uh, underneath cliffs. They'd, they would carve out something and then they would build this little wall and the wall would be wide enough that one sheep at a time could go through it. That way it was easy for the shepherd to count those that were coming in at the end of the day. And then, interesting enough, it was a tradition that shepherds would then lay their body down on the inside of that sheep gate so that sheep couldn't get out and the wolves couldn't get in. 
without going through the body of the shepherd. And so when Jesus begins to drop hints like this in Scripture, when we begin to understand the historical context, we begin to recognize this is what he was talking about when he said, I lay down my life for my sheep. I literally am the door. I am the protector. I am the one that brings this all together. And then in Matthew 13, 7, he, he adds this, Enter through the narrow gate, for wide is the gate and broad is the, lo- the road that leads to destruction, and many, many enter through it. But small is the gate and narrow the road that leads to life, and only a few find it. Which leads us to the question, what is different about Christianity than any other religious system? What sets Christianity apart? I have a passage of Scripture that I'm going to read to you twice. In fact, what I want you to do is I want you to take this passage of Scripture that I'm going to read to you, and I would like you to study it during your devotions this week. It's a powerful passage that's out of the book of Titus, chapter 3, verses 4 through 7. And it says this, But when the kindness and love of our God, our Savior, appeared, He saved us, not because of the righteous things we had done, but because of His mercy. He saved us through the washing of rebirth and the renewal by the Holy Spirit, whom He poured out on us generously through Jesus Christ our Savior, so that having been justified by His grace, we might become heirs having the hope of eternal life. Now let me read this to you again. But when the kindness and love of God our Savior appeared, He saved us. Not because of the righteous things that we had done, but because of His mercy. He saved us through the washing of rebirth and the renewal by the Holy Spirit, whom He poured out on us generously through Jesus Christ our Savior, so that having been justified by His grace, we might become heirs having the hope of eternal life. Folks, this is quite a paragraph. There is a lot within this, and I want to unpack four points very quickly as I conclude this message. Because it gives us the reason why Jesus makes the claim, I am the way, and there is no other way. The first thing that is unique and especially moves me about the Christian faith is this. Christianity is based on the highest of human ideals, sacrificial love. It is within this comes the foundation of human rights. Within this comes the foundation of racial justice. It is the highest ethic that we hold in our heart. It was Jesus who said, there is no greater love for anyone to demonstrate than they would lay down their life for other people or their friends. And then Jesus says to us, and that is exactly why I have come and exactly what I have come to do for you. The highest ideal of Christianity, different than anything else, is the fact that our God is a sacrificially loving God and asks us to follow that. And that's why he starts in the words of verse 4 when he said, when the kindness and love of God... There's a lot of people in our world that are serving an angry God. They're serving a God that they know doesn't matter what they do, they can never make that God happy. We as Christians start out with the fact that says, when the kindness and love of God, our Savior, appeared. 
All of this begins not with the idea that God is up there somewhere shouting down with a bullhorn as to how we are to behave, but He has come out of a love for us, a sacrificial love for us. Which brings me to the point of we need to be reminded from time to time that we've got to be careful how we demonstrate our love for other people that we don't lower the standard of what God has asked of us. Because sometimes we believe that if people love God and are serving God, that they have to have a certain look. That they have to have a certain behavior. And if they don't fit within the rigid rules that we have placed for them, then you are outside of that. Let me tell you something. God is not creating us into being all the same person. He is developing different gifts into us that will be for the purpose of broadening the kingdom of God. And so if you have a very narrow view of what a child of God must look like, then please don't share that with anybody because you're not going to help the kingdom. It was out of love that he came. In fact, our life is worth somehow the incredibly powerful, encompassing love of God. He validates us by his sacrificial love. And this is the starting point. So Jesus said, I didn't come to be served, but I have come to love you as a servant to you. And he said, I've come to lay down my life for you. Bruce Shelley in his book, Church History in Plain Language, wrote this. Christianity is the only major world religion to have as its central event the humiliation of its own God. Why would anyone make up a religion that humiliates its own God? The humiliation of Jesus hanging naked on the cross, being tortured to death on the cross of the crucifixion as your sin and my sin was put upon Him. Tore the union of the Godhead for just a moment. As he felt alone in that, this was God giving himself away on your behalf with sacrificial love. Christianity, the relationship that we have with Christ, comes as a result of that, and it's different than any other religion in the world. So that's why Paul starts with the paragraphs, because of the kindness and love of God. I don't know about you, but when I was singing this morning, I could feel the love of God. I could feel that. Secondly, Christianity is based on its universal invitation. Paul goes on to say, but he, he being Jesus, saved us. Not because of the righteous things we had done, but because of mercy. So for all of you that have been struggling in your life with, I've got to do this and this and this and this. If I just do enough good things, maybe it'll, it'll balance the, the record just a little bit. And God will look at me and say, yes, you deserve my love. Let me tell you something, there's nothing you can do. It doesn't matter if you spent your whole life doing good for others. Without Jesus, there's nothing you can do. He paid the price for us so that we could be released from all of the what-ifs of the world and settle into the fact that we just get to live mercifully and gracefully under His care and watchful eyes. You see, it was Jesus that dealt with justice so that you and I don't have to perform acceptably to earn the love of God. I want you to know how freeing that is. How freeing that is to our conscience. You see, I don't know of any other religion that can make that claim. In fact, while others criticize the exclusivity of Christianity, we can turn around and point to the universal invitation of Christianity. When they're saying, you are so exclusive and you're so 
arrogant. We're going, no, no, no. The invitation is available to you too. It's available to all. In fact, God is not willing that any should perish. But that all should come to eternal life. The invitation is wide. The circle is big. He doesn't want to leave anybody out of this. But he is making salvation available equally to all of us. Full access to forgiveness. Full access to grace. Full access to his presence. Full access to the indwelling of his Holy Spirit. Full access to eternal life in the presence of God. It's all there for everyone. That's not exclusive. That's inclusive. And that's God's message, is a message of inclusivity. Paul goes on to say, thirdly, that Jesus gives us more than a behavioral code. He gives us His Holy Spirit. In so many circles, well-meaning Christians, Bible-believing churches, take the wonderful sacrifice of God that's available to everybody, and we have reduced it to a set of do's and don'ts. We've made God sound boring. He's the lion of the tribe of Judah. He's life-giving, abundant life-giving. And when we enter into obedience, we enter into the favor of God. And the reality of what God did for us is to pour out His Spirit into us. In other words, the moment that you receive Jesus as your Savior, the way, the truth, and the life, He doesn't just say, hey, good job, now you're on your own. He says, let me place within you my Holy Spirit that will become an internal guide, a teacher. He'll be the counselor. He will be the life giver for you. He will guide your steps and direct you because I don't want you to take one step in life without the direction of the Holy Spirit who He places within us as temples of the Holy Spirit. I was thinking about that the other day when we were getting ready to leave my daughter's house and Cindy was laying in the bed with our granddaughter and grandson the last night and they were begging us, don't leave because we're the gift givers. (laughs) She's the gift giver. I was taking credit night. (laughs) Cindy had her arm around our granddaughter, Kaya, who was expressing that tomorrow was going to be a difficult day at school. And Cindy was whispering in her ear and she said, listen, Kaya, remember this. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. And I stood at the door and had tears running down my face. Thinking, you know what? I wish there was a time in our life when we grew out of needing to be reminded of that, but we don't. I admit to you that there are many times in my Christian walks that I wake up in the morning and have doubts. For those of you that thought you had a perfect pastor, I am so sorry. And it's in those moments of time when I have to be reminded of the fact that because of my relationship with God through Jesus Christ, He deposited within me His Holy Spirit, and then He whispers in my ear, not things that will destroy me, but things that will encourage me. Doug, you can do all things to Christ. Who strengthens. Christianity is the only... Religion that can make a claim of an indwelling God that strengthens and encourages us. And so Paul puts it this way. He saved us through the washing of rebirth and the renewal by the Holy Spirit, whom he poured on us generously. Some of you are cheap. And and God is not. He pours generously into our lives 
through Jesus Christ our Savior. And then Paul underscores another uniqueness of the Christian faith, the last thing. The gospel addresses the issues of eternal life with an assurance not found in any other religion. I have often said, and I hope that this, this is true with you, Christians ought to be the best sleeping people in the world, and I trust that you don't do that while you're in church on Sunday morning. I have been so tempted on one or two occasions just to walk down the aisle and stand next to somebody who I'm sure they were praying and just stand there. You see, the scripture also tells us that because of our relationship with Jesus Christ, we have a peace that surpasses understanding. The indication of that is you sleep well at night, even though we may be in the middle of pandemic, wave after wave, in the middle of uncertainty, in the middle of all of these things that keeps our world up at night. My, I, was, I was talking to a, uh, an individual who was cutting my hair, and, and she told me that my five-year-old has been in bed with me every night for two years because they're afraid. She goes, they're, they're afraid. And I said, afraid of what? She goes, they're afraid that they're going to die in the middle of the night. And I said, oh, can I tell you about peace that can come? You see, in the middle of doubts, we have this peace that surpasses understanding. Because I know that it doesn't matter what happens. I know where I'm going. My eternity, my eternal destination was taken care of the moment that I said, Jesus, you are exclusive. And I want in. And because of the inclusivity of your invitation, I was able to enter in. And because of that, I don't worry about eternity. Other religions cannot necessarily say that. There are some that believe in reincarnation. In fact, when I was walking around in India, when I was doing services there a number of years ago, there were cattle and chickens and monkeys running around. And I'm asking, you know, and people starving to death at the same time. And I said, I don't get this. And oh, no, no, these are our relatives. I'm thinking, what did you do? to come back as a cow. <laughs> you see, in that religion, the guarantee of eternal life is not there. You may also believe in a religion that if you are martyred, you get to go to heaven and have 72 virgins waiting on you. I'm not sure what that does for women. But Christianity clearly talks about the moment that you receive Jesus as your Savior and become a follower of Jesus Christ, that your eternity is secure. You know where you're going, and you know who opened the door for you to get there. Christianity speaks of the certainty of life after death and the certain hope that we can absolutely know where we will spend eternity when other religious systems cannot. Worship team, would you please come? And here's how Paul puts that. So having been justified by His grace, let me just give you a quick theological study of this term justified. In, in Sunday school, those of you that had a chance to, to grow up in Sunday school, you know this. Justified means just as if you never sinned. That when you receive Jesus, He looks at you as just as if you've never sinned. Now, for those of you that know Christ, just take a deep breath. Here's the reason why. There are things that you're beating yourself up over that Jesus has forgotten. Satan hasn't. And in his part of the spiritual world, he whispers these discouraging things to you and tells you who you are and, you know, limits you as to what... You... The Lord has removed that ceiling from you. He said, you have been justified 
just as if you've never sinned. Your God took a penalty upon himself that made you free. Having been justified by his grace, we might become heirs of the eternal hope or of, of hope and eternal life. In other words, Jesus took your place and paid your punishment so that you get to have your name written in God's will. Full heir. I know where I'm going. I know whom I have believed in, and I am persuaded that he is able to keep that which I have committed unto him.